long time ago, in the time of fighting men and gods. There was a tale, they told it well, and it is remembered against the odds. In the arms of his father, Cuhallan was taken away from the ford, from the place where Ferdia died. The Ildonag took his son to a place of safety, and there he watched over him for three days and three nights. He used his skill and his magic to heal the wounds inflicted on Cuhallan's body, but even the Ildonag could not heal the wounds inflicted on his son's mind and heart. At the end of three days, Cuhallan woke from his enchanted sleep. He could feel the blood coursing through his body, so alive, so full of health and vitality. Every muscle and sinew seemed to tingle with strength. But before his eyes were fully open, he leapt from the bed with a great cry and rushed out from that place. Where is my sword? Where is my spear? The great armies of Ireland are attacking Ulster. Lou placed his hand upon his son's shoulder. His voice was gentle, but his eyes were grave. The armies of Maeve and Alil and Fergus, they had no peace while you rested. I can promise you that. Cuhallan turned to his father, hope and light shining from his face. The men of Ulster have woken from their curse. But Lou shook his head. No, they are still weak, recovering from the curse of Maka. Did you do this? Did you fight them while I slept? No. I cannot take such a direct action in the matters of mortals. Then who? Who fought while I rested? Lou could not meet the eyes of his son. You escaped the curse of Maka because you cannot yet grow a beard on your chin. And in this, my son, you were not alone. And when the invading armies came, the soldiers who came to pillage, to take without my asking, just as Maka had foretold, they left the sick beds of their fathers. They took up their father's swords, their father's armies, and they went out to fight. Guhalan shook his head. I don't understand what you're saying. The boys' troop. The young men of Awanmaka. The boys. The ones who trained in games. When they saw the armies advancing upon their homes, they took up their father's swords and their father's spears. Some of them could not even wear their father's helmets for they kept slipping down over their eyes and so if the armour did not fit they went out into the fray unarmoured. Three times fifty of them. A hundred and fifty boys went out to face the greatest army Ireland has ever seen. Folloman, the son of Cahor Nessa, led them, proclaiming that he would not return to Awan Maka until he had brought back the head of Aleel. And did he? No. Follaman will never return to Awanmaka. The boys' troop fought for three days. They killed three times three of their number. The fighting was so fierce that Alil returned Fergus's great sword. And though the boys fought with everything they had and with the fire of youth, they were no match for the numbers, for the men of experience. And the boys' troop all 150 of them were mown down. Boys slain by men. Gohallan rushed from that place. He could not believe it. It could not be true. He rushed out and he saw for himself the bodies of boys broken on the ground, the smell of death and of smoke in the air. And he let out a great howl and he let loose 
The hound, the hound who he had kept lashed and kept tight and kept restrained through all of his battles, he let loose the hound and the cry of Cuchulain became the cry of the hound, of the beast. His body began to change, the warp spasm upon him as his anger coursed through his body. Every muscle, every sinew stood on end, every hair upon his body became a spike His jaw began to distend, the teeth growing sharp and long, the lips pulling back into a terrible snarl. One eye grew so great it lulled upon his cheek, one eye grew so small and deep in his socket that even the long beak of a herring could not pull it out. His nails became claws as his bones began to lengthen, thicken, twist, his knees turned backwards and the hound was loose. The men of Ireland could not run fast enough. The claws of the hound caught them and the jaws of the hound broke them. He paid them back for the death of the boys' troops. He paid them back three times three for every wound, for every bone, for every drop of blood. He took and he took and death followed the hound. Only when that price was paid did the warp spasm subside from the body of Cúhalan. The hound lay down to rest, but Cúhalan, the man, still stood. He went for his sword and for his spears. He went for his chariot, the scythe chariot, and he dressed his horses in armour, and then he dressed himself. He put on the finest armour of deerskin. He put on the studded braces, and he put a crown of gold upon his head so that he shone like a god. Cúhalan, the man, rode out, and his chariot crushed the death and destruction the hound had left beneath its wheels. He went to search out the remains of Maeve's army. Those who had survived, who had not run mad from the sight of the hound, had tried to regroup. Maeve was there as was Aleel, as was Fergus, now with his great sword in his hand again. An argument was taking place between the three leaders, between Aleel, Fergus and Maeve. Should they remain and fight or should they run? Maeve knew that before the great massacre had occurred, her spies had been sneaking the great bull over the border into Connacht, said that they should run. They should regroup, they could fight later when they were stronger, when they had time for tactics. Aleel and Fergus did not want to run from a fight, did not want the world to call them cowards. They would prefer to stand and die. As they argued, a scout ran into their myths. There had been a sighting. They asked, was it the hound, the great hound of Ulster? And they said, no, it was a man, a man who shone like a god, who stood upon a scythe chariot, whose horses wore glittering armour. It is Cuchulain, cried Fergus. His warp spasm has ended, but he still has the energy for a fight. If it's a fight he wants, it's a fight he'll find, cried Aleel, and he ran, Fergus hot on his heels. Seeing two of their three generals rush into battle, the remaining soldiers gathered their weapons and followed. Fergus was taller than Aleel, his legs longer and stronger, and he soon outstripped him. He was the first to see Cúhalan in all his glory. The gold on his head shone in the sun, and his eyes of seven colours blazed with light. Fergus! cried Cúhalan. Remember your promise! Fergus gripped his sword in his two hands. Again, Cúhalan cried, Fergus, remember your promise to me. Fergus raised his mighty sword. Fergus, remember your promise to me. And Fergus, with one great swing of his sword, cut the tops of three mountains, turned his back and fled. For Fergus was a man of honour. And Fergus was a man who would keep 
His promise. His promise. The reason Fergus had turned his back on Ulster was because of a promise. The reason he had joined with Maeve, the enemy of his kinsman, was because of a promise. A promise he had once been forced to break. Years before, when Fergus had still been a loyal follower of Cahor Macnessa, all the nobles had been gathered in the home of Felman Macdall. Felman was the great storyteller of the court, and he was regaling them with one of his tales, when suddenly a great cry was heard. The men rushed to see what was the matter, and the cry led them to Felman's wife, who was heavily pregnant with child. But she was not the one screaming. The cry was coming from her belly, from the child who was yet to be born. All knew that this meant something, this boded, but what? And among the number assembled there was Kavtok, the druid. They asked him to interpret the sign. Kavtok placed his hand upon the woman's pregnant belly and the cry stopped. Tell us, what does it mean? What does the future hold for this child? But Kavtok did not wish to speak. Still they insisted. Tell us! Tell us! And at last, Kavtok told them. The child who was yet to be born, the child who had cried out from its mother's womb, she would be a girl. A beautiful girl, the most beautiful woman in all of Ireland, perhaps even all the world. But her life would be short and full of sorrow. In fact, so full of sorrow that she should be known as broken-hearted, as Deirdre. She would be beautiful and desired by many men. Indeed, from the desire for Deirdre would come great strife. Wars would be fought, friends would turn on friends, brothers against brothers, and fathers would fight sons. From pursuit of Deirdre, crowns and kingdoms would be lost, and the greatest battle ever fought in Ireland would come. This news shocked all assembled. One man cried out, Let us kill the child! Stop this from ever coming to pass! And indeed many more began to take up this, saying that they should kill the child now, before she was even born, so that this catastrophe could never come to pass. But Cahor raised his hand and silenced them. She will be the most beautiful woman in Ireland? Perhaps all the world? And Kofbog said... Yes. Cahor considered this. And strife will come from men pursuing her, wishing to possess her. And again, Kafbad said, Yes. Cahor nodded. Well, then I can see easily how this may be averted. And we do not need to kill the child. Indeed, it would be a waste to kill the most beautiful woman in Ireland before she can be fully grown. Instead, I will make her my wife. It would be no small thing for the greatest king in Ireland to possess the most beautiful woman. The men nodded and mumbled in agreement, no one quite having the courage to bring up the fact that Cahor was already married at this point. All men here promise you shall not strive to take my wife or my betrothed from me. And they all swore this. Cahor smiled, good. And now to see that there is no jealousy before she becomes my wife. Let us have her sent away as soon as she is born, to be raised in secrecy and isolation. Once she is grown to womanhood, she will be brought to me and I shall wed her. There need be no blood shent over Deirdre. 
all nodded in agreement, telling Cahor that he was indeed a wise king. All but Cuthbert, who said nothing, merely shook his head and watched. And when she was born, the midwife said that she was the most beautiful babe she had ever delivered. She had a full head of hair, and she laughed more than she cried. And the babe was taken away. Taken to a secret location, she was given to a foster mother to raise, and the only man who ever laid eyes upon Deirdre was her foster father. But there was one they could not keep out, they could not keep away. Lavasham, the poet. Lavasham was an old and a wise woman, and she was greatly skilled in poetry. Indeed, so much that her satires would leave welts across the face of any who crossed her. And, being such a great and powerful poet, Deirdre's foster parents could not turn her away, and the old woman took a great interest in the girl who was betrothed to the king. As she grew, Deirdre would ask many questions about her future husband. And Lavisham would answer, for she travelled where she pleased and she had seen the king with her own eyes. Is he a very great king? Indeed, he is high king of all Ulster, and he took the throne at only seven years old. Is he very handsome? Well, there's some that say that. He certainly has very nice calves. And is he a good and a kind man? As Deirdre grew and her questions went on, Lavisham found it harder and harder to answer them truthfully. One winter, when Deirdre was in her teens, she stood outside watching as her foster father slaughtered pigs. She was used to this. She knew the circle of life and knew that animals must be slain so that they would have food for the winter. She watched him slit their throat, watched as the blood was carefully caught in bowls so it could be mixed with oat and turned into pudding. Nothing should be wasted. But even still, splashes of blood landed on the crisp white snow. And when the slaughter was cleared away, birds flew down. Black carrion birds, and they pecked among the sight of slaughter looking for scraps. As she watched, images formed in Deirdre's young mind. The red blood was as red as the blood that had begun to flow between her thighs. The white snow was as white as the linen sheets she slept upon. And the raven's feathers, well, they were as black as the night she knew she would be given to King Cahor. And something came over Deirdre and she spoke aloud. If I must have a man, then I shall only have one whose skin is as white as snow, whose hair is as black as the raven's wing, and whose lips are as red as blood. And as we all know, when you say something aloud... Things can happen. Deirdre began to have dreams. She dreamt of a man with skin as white as snow and lips as red as blood, whose hair was the colour of a raven's wing. She dreamt of this man night after night. She dreamt of his voice, singing soft and sweet and kind. And eventually she asked Lavisham if in her wide travels she had ever met a man who could sing, a man whose lips were as red as blood, whose hair was as black as the raven's wing, and, and whose skin was as pale as the snow. Lavisham answered, Yes. Yes, I can think of one who meets that description. Nisha, the son of Ishnok. Nisha was a warrior and a hunter, 
and he and his brothers were known to be the finest singers in all of Ulster. They were also nephews of Cahor Macnessa and regular attendants at his court. From that day, Deirdre demanded to meet Nisha, and she would not touch food until Nisha was brought before her. And so, Lavisham, with her wisdom and her wiles, arranged that one day Nisha should be hunting and should become separated from his fellows, should become lost and should stumble upon the secluded spot where Deirdre was hidden. The moment Deirdre saw Nisha, she grabbed him by both ears, pulled his face towards her and said, Nisha, son of Ishnok, I demand that you take me away from this place. Take me away now. I place a get upon you, Nisha. If you do not take me from this place before the sun sets, a terrible fate shall befall you. And no man would want to defy a Gesh. So Nisha took Deirdre away, his two brothers joining them. They knew, though, that as soon as Cahormac Nessa found that they had run away, he would be after them. So they fled from Ireland over the sea to Scotland. And perhaps a love did form between Nisha and Deirdre, for they expressed no desire to part from one another, and even married. Cahormac Nessa, when he discovered that his prize had been taken from him, he threw the tantrum of a spoilt child. He demanded vengeance. He demanded blood. He demanded Deirdre be brought before him and the head of Nisha and his brothers presented to him on a silver platter. Fergus, former king of Ulster and advisor to Cahor, tried to calm him. Cahor already had a wife. He'd had a number of wives. And he had sons already... And Deirdre, she was a young girl. She could hardly be expected to want to shack up with a man older than her father. As expected, this did little to cool Cahor's nerves. But he calmed his face and lowered his voice and began to think. The sons of Ishnok and Deirdre had made friends in Scotland. He could not invade there with an army, not without a great cost. He would have to persuade them to come back of their own volition. And once they returned, then he could take his revenge. And so he waited and bided his time. And at last he said he had forgiven his nephew and he had forgiven Deirdre. He wished for them to return for the songs of the son of Ishna once more to sing out in Awan Maka. And he turned to Fergus. Fergus, who was known to be a man of honour and trustworthy, and asked him to be his messenger, to go to Scotland to tell the sons of Ishnok they were forgiven, to bring them safely home to Awan Maka. And Fergus, he gave his word that he would go as the messenger of Cahor Macnessa, and he would bring them safely home. One night, as Deirdre lay asleep next to Nisha, she had a dream. She dreamt of three ravens on a white sky. They were flying towards her. In their mouths were drops of honey. But as the ravens flew closer, the drops of honey turned to drops of blood and fell upon her. Lavisham had taught her the importance of dreams, and she knew this meant some ill omen was coming towards them. But Nisha shushed her. It was just a dream. It meant nothing. Go back to sleep. It was not long after Deirdre had this dream that Fergus arrived. He told the sons of Ishnok that they were forgiven. They were to be welcomed home to Awanmaka. The sons of Ishnok were overjoyed for they had missed their home greatly. But Deirdre 
she did not trust this message from Cahor Macnessa, and her dream still troubled her. Fergus, seeing her on ease, knelt before her. He promised that he would escort them all safely home. He gave his word that there was no harm meant for them in Ulster. He swore to them, and all knew that Fergus was an honourable man. Fergus would never break his word, would never go back upon a promise. And so all five of them set forth to sail back to Ulster and return to Awanmaka. Once they landed on the shores of Ulster, though, a message came for Fergus. He was requested to be at a feast, and there was a gesh upon Fergus that he could not refuse the offer of hospitality. Deirdre said they should wait. Go with Fergus to the feast, and then on to Awanmaka. But Cahor had been adamant that they were to arrive at Awanmaka as soon as possible. And Fergus had been promised that there was no harm meant for them. So he told them to go on. His sons would accompany them and protect them. Again, he promised they would be safe. No harm was meant to them. And so, accompanied by the sons of Fergus MacRoish, Deirdre and the sons of Ishnok went to Awanmaka. And they were greeted there, but not with friendly open arms. They were met with sword and spear. Deirdre was grabbed from Nisha's arms and taken away. The sons of Ishnok stood back to back, and all knew that when the sons of Ishnok, all three, stood back to back, they could not be beaten, for they were defended upon all sides. They fought valiantly against Cahor's men, against the members of the Red Branch Knights. The sons of Fergus were there too, and they fought to defend the sons of Ishnok. But there was one among their number, Owen MacDartuk. He took a spear and cast it at Nisha, impaling him through the heart. And after Nisha fell, so too did his brothers, the sons of Ishnok, and so too did the sons of Fergus. Deirdre was taken, and by force that very night, Cahor made her his wife. But Deirdre, from that day, she would not smile. She would not speak unless spoken to directly, and even then her answers were short and clipped. Her eyes were constantly lowered towards the ground. Cahor found this behaviour irritating, that though he had taken her as his wife, though he had killed Nisha, he still did not possess Deirdre. She still defied him. Much as he tried, he could not make her break. And after a year, he turned to her and said, Wife, with exception to myself, whom is the man whom you hate most in all this world? And Deirdre responded, There is one whom I hate even more than you, the man who took the life from Nisha. Ah, Owen MacDart. Well then, I shall give you to him to use as he pleases for a year, and perhaps after a year at his hands, you will try to be more pleasing when you return to Owen Macca. And so it was arranged. Deirdre was to be given to Owen MacDart for a year. The spot of the exchange was chosen, the very spot where Nisha was buried. Cahor MacNessa rode out in his chariot, Deirdre standing by his side, and when they saw Owen waiting, he whispered close to her, You are like a ewe trapped between two great rams. Deirdre, though, was not looking at him, was not paying attention to him, nor was she paying attention to Owen MacDarth and the grin plastered across his face. Her eyes were fixed upon a stone by the river near where Nisha was buried. And as the chariot passed over the bridge, she flung herself from it. Her skull was dashed against the rock and on that spot 
Deirdre died. She was buried there, on the banks on the opposite side to where Nisha's grave lay. But from her grave a tree began to grow, and from Nisha's, too, a tree grew. The trees grew up and their branches reached across the river, touching. But every time Cahor Macnessa would pass the spot and see the two trees reaching out for each other, he would take his sword and cut them. But every time they were cut, the trees grew back stronger each time, until at last the sword would not pass through their wood, and the trees reached across the river and were forever joined. And there ended the story of Deirdre, but not the story of Fergus MacRoish. For when he returned from the feast to Awan Maka and found his sons slain in defence of the sons of Ishnok, Deirdre taken against her will, the promise of safety broken, he turned his back on Ulster. It was the final straw, the final betrayal. He renounced his right to kingship. He renounced Ulster, for even the very land of Ulster was too tainted by the toxic presence of Cahor Macnessa, who dared to call himself king. Fergus left Ulster, followed by his men by one-third of the Red Branch Knights, and set his sights upon the court of Maeve. So, that's how Fergus ended up in Connacht. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Sorry again for the long delay between them, but so close to the end of the tawn. Again, this is my telling of the tawn, so some details may be different from other versions. Please do let me know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, particularly if you have any strong opinions on the story of Deirdre of the Sorrows. I personally have many strong opinions on Deirdre of the Sorrows and started work on a piece about that story, um, which I will one day finish. You may have noticed, but I'm a bit of a procrastinator. Uh, the links to all the social medias are below in the episode description. Twitter, t- uh, Instagram, all that good stuff. I'm a bit slow at replying sometimes, but I do get around to it and I would love to hear what people think. If you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you may have noticed something about a thing called Equinox. It's a play I've written about storytelling and folklore. And there is a rehearsed reading of it being performed in the Seen and Heard Festival at Smock Alley. And Equinox is happening on Saturday the 19th. And I have some really wonderful people who are bringing uh, this to life. And I'm very excited about it. So if you happen to be in Dublin on the 19th of February, maybe stop by Smock Alley and have a listen to Equinox. I hope you're happy. I hope you're healthy. And I hope you're still washing your hands. Goodbye. Thank you.